We're doing a series here at Thrive. It's called Find Your Life Again. And the reason why we call the series Find Your Life Again is because maybe these past two years of this pandemic, you feel, if you have to be really honest with yourself, that you've lost something in life. Maybe you feel like you've lost some hope concerning the future. Maybe some things have happened in your life that have been difficult and unexpected. And as a result, your faith has taken a hit. Maybe you feel like you've lost some or even all of your faith. And you're even surprised that you're even in church today. Maybe for the past two years, you feel like you've lost a sense of direction in your life. You're not really sure what to do with your life anymore. Maybe you feel like these past two years, you've lost a sense of identity. You don't really know who you are anymore. Maybe a sense of motivation, a sense of joy. Maybe you lost someone that you love these past two years. And right now, it feels like life is not the same. You want to try to pick up the pieces of your life and kind of find things that you've lost. How do you find your life again when you feel like you've lost a huge part of it? That's what we're talking about in the series called Find Your Life Again. And what we're saying in this series is that the biggest key to finding your life again isn't luck, isn't just your hard work, but the biggest key to finding your life again is experiencing Jesus Christ. And it's because Jesus Christ is described in the Bible as the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And because Jesus keeps on connecting himself with the life, if you want to find your life again, it's more than just luck. It's more than just hard work. What you need to experience and get close to, his name is Jesus. And that's why in this series called Find Your Life Again, we're discovering, in some cases, rediscovering who Jesus is by looking at one of the most powerful, most famous, most beloved books ever written. It was written by one of Jesus' first and closest disciples. It's called the Gospel of John. And see, I'm so thrilled to be going through this series with you. And just in case you're wondering, we're not just going through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings here at Thrive Church, but we're also going through the Gospel of John every day through something called Pastor JB's Game Time Sharing. And if you want to get in on that, what it is, you go to mythrop.info, you press the button that says subscribe for Pastor JB's Game Time Sharing. And what we'll do is every morning, we're going to send to you an email with a passage from the Gospel of John. And in case you're not really sure what to think about this passage, we send you some thoughts. Here are some thoughts from me about some things that you can learn from this passage. And in so doing, we're just walking through the Gospel of John together. Well, today we're looking at episode three of our series called Find Your Life Again. Are you guys ready for today? Yeah. Let's get into it right now. Let me tell you a story. A couple years ago, I was with my younger son, Caleb. He was only about two years old at the time. And I was pushing him in a stroller. And we're going through this foresty trail, foresty kind of like my shirt right now, you know, foresty trail. And, you know, it's, it's a sunny day. It's beautiful. We're having all this fun going through the trail. We're humming our favorite songs. We're like, hey, look at that. Look at that. And he's having fun. I'm having fun. And when we get to the end of the trail, there's this beautiful clearing. The sun is shining. I'm like, hey, hey Caleb, let's take a selfie together. Because in case you didn't know, one of my spiritual gifts is taking selfies. And so I, I, I look for my phone. Like, oh, where's my phone? Let me go. Wait, where's my phone? I had my phone just like, like 20 minutes ago. Where's my phone now? And, and it turned out I couldn't find my phone. And we're in the middle of this foresty trail. And I'm like, wait, where's my phone? Dude, where's my phone? And, and I, I start talking to Caleb. I'm like, Caleb, have you seen my phone? No. And, you know, and under the circumstance, given where we were and who I was with, I couldn't ask Caleb to call and see if I could find my phone. And so all we could do was backtrack. 
All we could do was go the opposite direction and go back down that same trail very slowly looking for the phone. Is it here? No. Is it here? No. Oh my goodness, where's my phone? Oh my goodness, where's my phone? And we finally go all the way through the trail. We can't find the phone. I'm thinking to myself, oh man, I'm going to explain this to Charlene. What's going to happen? We get a new phone. And I'm putting Caleb back in the car when I hear a voice from behind me say, hey, did you lose your phone? And I'm like, Yes. And he came up to us and he said, is this it? I'm like, yes. And I was like, thank you so much. I was probably going to kiss him, but that was going to be not going to be very wise, especially during COVID. And so I was like, you know, just thank you so very much. I don't know if I would have found that phone without that guy. And I'm so incredibly thankful for him. And here's the thing. What's the lesson there from that story? Is that sometimes we need the help of others to find what we're looking for. And see, here's the thing. In the story of the Bible, the Bible, you know, has this, not just a bunch of stories, but there's one story in the Bible. All these stories are all pointing to one story. And that story is that God made you and he loves you. And he made you for a relationship with him. But when we ran away from him, when we rebelled against him, when we did our own thing and we separated ourselves from God and God lost us to win us back, to find us again, he sent a savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And see, to let us know where to find Jesus so we could locate Jesus, God sent someone ahead of Jesus and his name is John the Baptist. And we're gonna look today at the life of John the Baptist. And in so doing, we're not just gonna find out some things about John the Baptist, but we're gonna find out some things about you in the process. We're gonna learn some keys to finding your life again. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter three, verse 22. John chapter three, verse 22. And by the way, if you're new to Thrive, if you're new to church generally, if you've never been to church before, maybe this is your first time ever in a church. Maybe you don't come from a Christian background. Just kind of exploring. We're so thrilled that you're here. Welcome to Thrive Church. We hope you make yourself right at home. But John three, chapter, chapter three, verse 22 says it this way. Let's read in a big, loud voice. And it's gonna sound so good because we haven't met together on site in a while. And so let's read this in a big, loud voice together right now. It says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because there was plenty of water. People were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can only receive what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ but in sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. If you're taking good notes today, I encourage you to write down the message title for today. The message title today is called Four Keys to Finding Your Life Again. We're going to learn from the life of John the Baptist, and in particular, four things that he says in this passage we just read that will help you find your life again. 
Let's unpack these verses, and I'm going to show you four ways that you can find your life again. John chapter 3, verse 22 says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water, and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. Let's stop right there. See what's going on. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that the reason why they called John the Baptist, John the Baptist, is because he was famous for baptizing people. Is that John, he would preach a message to bunch, bunches of people, crowds of people. He would say, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And in response to that message, as a way to express their need for God, people would come to John and get baptized. They'd get into a river, they'd get in some water, and they'd get immersed in water as a signal, as a symbol to say, I need God in my life. I want to turn my life over to him. And that's called baptism. It's something that we continue to do to this day. And see, one person in particular that John got to baptize was his younger cousin. His name is Jesus. And now, usually when people get baptized, it's an especially cool moment for them. But in this case, when John baptizes Jesus, it's an especially cool moment for John. And let me tell you why. It's because as John has all these people, the Bible says, verse 23, people are constantly coming to him to get baptized. And yet, in this moment when Jesus comes out of the water, John experiences something that he does not normally experience when he baptizes people. He says as Jesus coming out of the water, John senses the Spirit of God descend on Jesus like a dove and remain on him and affirm that he is, Jesus is, the Son of God, this Savior that God had promised to his people, the one the Scriptures have been prophesying about for centuries. And from that time on, after that moment, John realizes this is the guy who's coming after me, who's not just going to baptize with water, he's going to baptize with God's spirit. And so from that time on, John starts to point people to Jesus. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he's pointing to Jesus. Now, soon after that, Jesus starts to preach also. He starts to baptize people also, although it wasn't him himself baptizing, it was his disciples who were baptizing for him. And it was this very special time in history when you got these two powerhouse preachers. You got Jesus, you got John the Baptist, and they're both ministering the word of God and baptizing people all at the same time. It's something that John mentions that the other gospels don't really talk about. And see, verse 25 says, this is an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one that you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. So what's going on? See, John's got his own disciples and they get caught up in this quarrel. They're arguing with this guy about some trivial matter. Like, oh, should we wash this? Should we wash that? Are we allowed to wash this? Are we allowed to wash that? And so they get into this argument, this quarrel with someone whose name we don't know. And then they come back to John, their own teacher, and they start getting caught up in a comparison. They say, hey, teacher, rabbi, you know that that guy you baptized before, the guy that you keep talking about, that guy, he's on the other side of the Jordan now and he's baptizing people too and everyone is going to him. And see, that's a bit of an exaggeration because not everyone was going to Jesus. People were still constantly coming to John to get baptized as well, verse 23 says, but still they're like, dude, 
You are John the Baptist. You are freaking John the Baptist. How could some random guy from Nazareth out-baptize John the Baptist? That's like some random food truck that just started out. That's like them selling more burgers and more Big Macs and more McChickens than you know, McDonald's. You know, that's like you know, some random convenience store on the side of the street selling more stuff than Amazon. You're the Baptist, man. How could you let this happen? That's what we do. We baptize people. And see, I think the reason John was saying these things or John's disciples were saying these things wasn't because John's disciples were super excited about Jesus, but rather it was maybe out of concern for John, maybe even out of envy. Like, look, we're working so hard, but then, oh, everyone's going to Jesus. What's going on? They might be envious. They might be anxious. They might be worried. Maybe they're hoping that John would kind of throw in some criticism against Jesus too, or maybe try to stop Jesus and, you know, come up with, you know, some different excuse for why more people are going to him or to, than, than to, to John. And so, you know, but, but John doesn't do any of that. And you're going to notice that one thing is that one of the best measures of a person's maturity is how they respond to comparison. You're going to find that it's natural, it's normal to compare. People do that. You can't really stop them from doing that. But how we allow comparisons to affect us says a lot about our maturity. If you believe that, say amen. And see, these disciples, they weren't very mature. Is that first they get into this really trivial argument with someone, and then they start getting caught up in this comparison between John the Baptist and Jesus. And in response to all this, John the Baptist makes four very simple but very profound statements that we're going to learn from today. Verse 27, he says, To this John replied, A person can receive only what is given him from heaven. In other words, what is he saying? Is that John the Baptist saying, What use is it? of me complaining or worrying about what I don't have compared to what Jesus has when it's God who decides what we get. It's God's call. It's God's decision. God is sovereign. He's the one calling the shots. And so I'm not going to worry about stuff that's out of my control. I'm going to trust God that he knows best. A person can only receive what is given to him from heaven. Now, John doesn't say this because he's lazy or just really passive about life. No, but it's because he has wisdom. There's a sense of contentment, a sense of surrender, of acceptance, of humility, of trust in God when he says these words. And see, here's the thing. You're going to find this. this is the world is going to tell you that you can be whoever you want to be. You know, whatever you choose to put your mind to, that's what you can be. You want to play in the NBA, you can play in the NBA. You know, you want to be, you know, you, you want to be famous, you can be famous. But see, here's the thing. I'm all for having a can-do spirit. You know, the Bible talks a lot about, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But it's not that simple. It's that God, guess what, has a huge say in your destiny. And the fact is, you can't be anything you choose to be, but you can be everything God made you to be. And you, you, you might be you know, trying to do something that you just simply weren't made to do and you'll always feel like you're hitting a wall and being frustrated. It's because you can't just be anything you choose to be, but you can be everything God made you to be. And see, with that in mind, John starts talking about his own unique calling. Verse 28, it says this. He says, you yourself can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. In other words, he's saying, yo, disciples, 
silly, slow disciples. Hello, I've told you this before. If there's anyone who should know this, it's you guys. It's, I am not the Christ. I am sent ahead of him. I'm not the guy. I'm not this Messiah. I'm not the king. I've told you this over and over. It's not me. I'm just the voice in the desert pointing to that king who is to come. And see, he's basically saying this. Hey, you guys know this. You keep comparing Jesus to me. Jesus and I, we're not, com- we're not competitors. We're not competing with one, one another. It's not like, you know, Jesus is Steph Curry on the Golden State Warriors. And, you know, you know I, I'm like, you know, the Greek freak from the Milwaukee Bucks. And we're, we're both competing for the same prize. And only one of us can get it. We're not competing. No, we're on the same team. We just have very different roles. And see, we're on the same team with different roles. I'm like the act before the main act. I'm like the opening act. I'm getting the people ready for the reason why they're here. And his name is Jesus. They're not here to see me. They're here to see him. And that's why it makes sense that people are going to him. And in case, he's like telling his disciples, in case deep down you think I'm actually envious, in case deep down you think I'm you know, insecure about this, in case you think I'm unhappy, guess what? I could not be happier. And to illustrate it, he gives a brilliant illustration. Look at verse 29. He says this. He says, read it with me. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. See, back in John's time, if you were at a wedding and you were the best man, you had the toughest job. You had the busiest job. Nowadays, you know, I've, you know, I've been the best man at a couple weddings. I've been a groomsman for a bunch of weddings. I've emceed a couple weddings. I've you know, officiated a bunch of weddings. And I can tell you this, is that usually nowadays, the best man has the easiest job. Almost easy. Well, the grooms are even easier, but the best man, easy job, right? You just look good in your tux. You know, you take care of the rings if you can, right? And you also give a toast. You give a speech. That's all. That's all you have to do. And, but you know, back, you ought to understand, back in John's day, you don't realize this, but back in John's day, the best man was the person who invited everyone. He's the one who sent out the invitations. He's the one who coordinated the wedding. If you were the best man, the groom and the bride wouldn't hire a wedding coordinator because you were the wedding coordinator. And you would be the one, you know, so busy trying to get everything ready. And at the end, when the wedding was over, your final role was to take the bride and the groom and take them up to their honeymoon suite and say, hey guys, so happy for you. Congratulations. If there's anything else we can do for you, just let us know. I'm going to take care of the guests. You guys have fun. Love you guys. Congratulations. I'll see you guys later. And the groom says, thanks so much, buddy. Love you. And see, that's the best man back in John's day. And see, what is John saying? He's saying, who is the bride here? It's the people. It's the people who need God. Who's the groom? It's Jesus. Who am I? John says, I'm the best man. If anything, I'm just a friend. I'm the best man who's here. And my role is not to steal the bride from the groom. My role is to bring the bride and the groom together so they would have a happy union, so they'd be ready for this day. And so because of that, I'm not competing with the groom. I'm here to help the groom. Jesus must become greater. I must become less. That's what he's kind of saying. And see, here's the thing. is that Basically, he's saying this. The rise of Jesus is not competition to my ministry. The rise of Jesus is the completion of my ministry. It's that he's the reason I even have a mission in the first place. I wouldn't be here without him. And then in verse 30, he says, he must become greater. I must become less. Who is he? It's Jesus. And let me ask this question. If Jesus is God, 
like we talked about a couple weeks ago. If Jesus is God, if he's the son of God, then how can he become greater? Like, how, how's that even possible? If God is the greatest, if by nature you can't be greater than God, then how, why, how come he says he, Jesus, who is supposedly God, must become greater and he must become less? Let me tell you what he's saying. John the Baptist is saying, in the eyes of people, in the hearts of people, Jesus must become greater. I must become less. And see, John the Baptist, he's one of those characters in the Bible that I respect the most. And it's not just because both our initials are also JB. It's, just, it's because there's something about the John the Baptist, his character, his life, the things he said, the things he did, that man is like, man, respect, man. And see, we're going to find this as we look again at these four statements that John the Baptist just made. We're going to learn four ways to find your life again. We're going to learn how these four big statements that John makes, if you get them into your heart, they can actually help you recover something you've lost as well. Let's look at these four keys together from these four statements that John the Baptist made. Statement number one, it says this, to this John replied, a person can only receive what is given him from heaven. See, what's the key here? What's the lesson from this statement? Let me write you, well, I encourage you to write this down. What's the lesson here applied to your life? Refuse to let comparisons control you. Instead, believe that God's plans for you are unique, sovereign, and good. Amen? Let me ask you a question. Is there someone that you secretly keep comparing yourself to? That you secretly keep score with them? Where are they at in life? Where am I at in life? You sometimes maybe even secretly envy what they have. Maybe even sometimes secretly hope that they'll fail, at least sometimes. And you think to yourself, oh man, you see them on social media, you're like, oh man, like their life is so much better than mine. And, 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 and you, you, just, you can't help but compare your life to theirs all the time. You know, it's natural to make comparisons. Comparisons are actually not always bad. Comparisons can help us learn. Comparisons can push us forward. Comparisons can help us distinguish and make good decisions. But the problem is when we allow comparisons to define us and control us. See, the problem is this, is when we compare the very little that we know about someone else with everything, especially the worst that we know about ourselves, that's when we get into a problem. So the fact that we don't know everything that person goes through. On social media, on Instagram, they look so good. Their life looks so perfect. But we don't know everything that's going on in their lives. Whereas we know everything that's going on in our lives and we think, man, my life sucks compared to his. But see, that's not a fair comparison. See, and if we do not have a healthy view on comparison, guess what's going to happen? Comparison is going to suck the life out of you. It's going to keep you from having joy, keep you from having peace, keep you from being happy in life. You know, I remember, you know, looking back at my life, different people that I've compared myself to. Back in high school, there was a guy called David. He was the best looking guy in our class, in our grade. So, you know, he was sporty, he was athletic. Whenever he played sports, it's like he wouldn't sweat for some reason, you know, and the wind would always be blowing in his hair, even if we we're indoors, you know. It was just one of those things where he just seemed like he could do no wrong. And, you know, he was half Asian, half Caucasian. And so he had the best of both, like these amazing features, this flowy hair. And I thought, oh man, I want to look just like him. And, you know, I, I would try to grow my hair out just like him, but my hair would flop down, whereas his would, you know, kind of, you know, kind of flare out. I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't never be like him. You know, and I remember, you know, back when, you know, when our church first started, 
back when we first planted Thrive Church and we came as we were commissioned by a church in Taiwan to come here and to, to plant a multi-ethnic church here in Vancouver. And I could just always, always compare, okay, where were we in year one versus them at year one? Oh, and like how many people do we have in year two versus they had, and, and, I, and it was one of those things where we had completely different contexts, completely different countries, completely different talents, completely different stuff that we were given. And I just kept on comparing that way and it would discourage me whenever I felt like we didn't catch up. You know, and there would be times, you know, when even with my own dad, I'd be looking at, oh, where was he at life at age 30 or age 40? And things, was, oh, where am I at in age 30, age 40? I'd compare myself this way. And at some point, at some point, I don't know exactly when, but at some point it clued into the fact that this is not healthy and this is not good is that here I am comparing me to people who've got completely different calling, background, genes, personality, set of talents, context, even a different country than me. And so what am I doing causing comparison to suck the life out of me? And instead of trying to be the next David Wong or the next Billy Lim or the next Pastor Young, I decide, you know what? I'm going to be someone else. I'm going to be the one and only JB. Amen? Amen. And see, here's the thing. Maybe today, the biggest mistake that you keep making is that you keep comparing yourself to someone who's completely different from you. They've got a different skill set. They've got a different personality. They've got a different calling than you do. They've got a different background, different genes. And, and you keep on saying, oh, who's better? Who's, more go- who's better looking? Who's, who's more successful? And you know what? Stop. Because you were not meant to be them. If God wanted you to be them, he would make you them. He made you to be you. Amen. And see, whenever I'm tempted to compare myself to someone else, I need to remind myself that I've got a unique calling from God that can't be compared to anyone else, and so do you. See, God doesn't make copies. God only makes originals. And see, God didn't make you to be some bootlegged copy of someone else. He made you to be uniquely you. You know, you hear a lot about NFTs these days. You know what NFT stands for? It stands for non-fungible token. Fungible means replaceable. And so these non-fungible tokens are these digital works of art that are just like one of one. There's only one in the world. You can't copy it. You can't replace it. It's just one. And I, I just find this, it is incredible how much money people are paying for NFTs these days, you know? But let me give you just some examples in case you're not really familiar with NFTs. Here, here's some of the most expensive NFTs that have been sold in the past couple of years. Here we go. Uh, here's one. CryptoPunk7523. Take a look. I could be 10 years old and I think I could do something like that, right? But guess how much this sold for just a couple years ago? It sold for $11.75 million. $11.75 million. Look at the next one. This one is CryptoPunk5822. And the only difference between the last one and this one is that one was wearing a mask, the other one was wearing a bandana. And guess what this one sold for? How much did it sold for? It sold for $23 million. Would you pay $23 million for that? Wow. Wow, what what I would do with $23 million. Another one, Human One. Now, this one's kind of interesting, is that there is an artist, a very famous artist, who has access to this NFT, and he'll change the background. And so this guy who's kind of half human, half robot, is walking in different backgrounds. Guess how much this one sold for? $28.9 million. Wow, $28.9 million. Here's another one. There's another artist who decided that he's going to put together side by side 5,000 different works of art that he did over 5,000 days. And this is called the, fi- the first 5,000 days. And there you go. It's this big collage, and it sold for $69 million. 
69 million. And here, this, that used to be the most expensive NFT ever sold. Can I show you the most expensive one right now? It's called the Merge, and it looks like this. Three balls. That's about, you know, that's three balls. And guess how much it sold for? It sold for $91.8 million. That's about $30 million per ball, all right? And I'm thinking to myself, my goodness. Now, some people say, oh, this is maybe not the most expensive one because about 30,000 people came together as a team and bought this for $91 million. But oh my goodness, that's a lot of money for a piece of art that way. I thought to myself, man, I could do something like that. So yeah, in fact, yesterday morning, I was a little bored, so I decided to take literally two minutes to do my own. And so that's the merge. Here's my merge, okay? Here you go. That's, yeah, that, there you go. There you go. It, it, Literally five minutes, that's all it took. And in case you want to buy it, it's available for $100 million, if you want. <laughs> if you want, if you want. I'm just saying, just saying. But why do I mention NFTs? Why, why do I mention NFTs? It's because you are God's NFT. You are God's NFT. You are God's non-fungible, irreplaceable treasure. You are a work of art that God created, and you are one of one. You are not a bootleg copy of someone else. You are one of one. You are irreplaceable. Turn your and say, you are God's NFT. And when God lost you, God paid the highest price to get you back. He sent Jesus Christ, not to pay $90 million or a billion dollars, but Jesus Christ gave his life for you. He shed his blood on the cross to pay for your sins so that you would know your worth, that there's no price that could define your worth. That's how much you mean to God. You are God's NFT. Oh, come on, give God some praise. Let's play together right now. And because, because you are God's NFT, it means you don't have to be controlled by how you compare to other people. Galatians 5, 26 says it this way. It says, we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. Now, for me, it's not enough to say, I refuse to let comparisons control me. That's, that's easy to say, but sometimes it's hard to do. And so I find this, one thing I do is I remind myself I've got a unique calling that can't be compared to anyone else. Another thing I do is I fill my mind with things that the word of God says that help me have a healthy outlook on life. And one of the best things that I find really helps me that I meditate on, and I'm gonna share it with you right now, is Psalm 23. It's one of the most famous songs and prayers ever written in the Bible. And it's kind of a funny story about Psalm 23. You know, on my 10th birthday, my pastor, because I grew up in church, I wasn't a Christian until my teens, but I grew up in church. And my pastor asked me, could you read Psalm 23 on your birthday in public? I was like, no, I don't want to read Psalm 23 in public. And so I refused. My dad had to step in and read it for me. And look, and look at me now. <laughs> See, I'm, and so with that in mind, I'm going to ask you all, let's read out loud Psalm 23, all right? Here we go. Okay, so here we go. Big, loud voice, one, two, three, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Praise God. That was the loudest I think I've ever heard you read scripture. Praise God. Uh, but let me tell you this. You know, whenever you're tempted to 
compare yourself to someone, be really controlled by that comparison. Whenever you're tempted to covet and envy, you know, why can't my life be more like that person? I want to encourage you to recite and meditate on Psalm 23, which tells us, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. In other words, God is my shepherd and I don't lack anything. I have everything I need in him. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's because that's God's promise over your life. Amen. So remember that. Whenever you're tempted to covet, to envy, to compare, remember Psalm 23. That's the first key that we learn, is refuse to be controlled by comparisons. We're gonna spend less time on the other three, but I really want to focus that on that one, but still the other three are very important as well. Write this next one down. This next statement from John is, you yourself can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. What's the lesson there? What's the lesson we learned from that statement? It's this, remember that it's not about you, It's about Jesus. See, the reason God gives you anything at all in life, your talents, your dreams, your heart, your experiences, your personality, your connections, your opportunities, you know, your your time. You know, the reason why he gives these things to you is not for your fame or for your name or for your acclaim or for your kingdom, but it's for God's fame and God's name and God's acclaim and God's kingdom. And one of the quickest ways that you can lose direction in life is to assume that it's all about me. The world revolves around me. It's all about my happiness. I just wanna feel good. I wanna be happy. I wanna have my own kingdom. And in so doing, we actually miss the point of our lives and get extremely frustrated with life. You know, Matthew 16, 25, Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will, will find it. See, what does it mean? It says, if you try to keep your life for yourself, and just live for your own fame, your own comfort, for your own kingdom, your own glory, your own happiness, your own pleasure, you're gonna end up not just missing those things very often, but missing the point of your life. But if you lose your life for Jesus, if you would, in other words, use what God has given you, not for you, but for his glory, you will find your life again. And see, you know, one of my favorite people, you know, in this, in, the, in this world right now, it's our set up and tear down crew who help us create these on-site experiences. They come late Saturday night. They here, are here early Sunday morning. They're here again sat, Sunday afternoon to kind of set up and tear down for all of our services. Can we give them a big hand today? We're so thankful for them. And... Thankful for LaPont Place as well. And, and here, let me tell you this is, you know, I was talking to Ryan, the leader of this team, and, and he was just saying this, is that he, he, he noticed that something really cool has been happening with this team, is that even while they're spending this time setting up and tearing down, that friendships are happening, that bonding is happening in a way that I think no one expected. It's that some reason, by just kind of spending their lives doing this for Jesus, that they find life amongst themselves in a way that they couldn't find anywhere else. It just goes to show that when you give your life away to Jesus, you never leave empty-handed. You find your life again because of it. Here's a question for you today. What is your life oriented around? What is the thing that your life revolves around? Is it serving you or is it serving Jesus? See, when you plan for your future, don't just think what would make me happy and make me feel fulfilled or what would sound good in the eyes of people, but think 
How could I make the biggest impact that I can for Jesus with what God has given to me? Because if you are a stay-at-home parent or you're a student or you're someone working in a business or you're yourself a businessman or a businesswoman, let me tell you this. Don't make this life about you. Make what you do about Jesus, about giving him glory, about saying whatever I do, even the simplest ordinary things, if I do it with an attitude of worship, I can live my life for a purpose bigger than myself. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's the second point. Remember, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Statement number three, verse 29, John the Baptist says, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. Okay, so what is John saying for us today? What's, what's this? How does it apply to us today? Number three, write this down. Realize that you find life when you get near Jesus and you hear his voice. Let me tell you this. I like how one pastor puts it. He says, do you know when your joy is complete? It's not when you get something from the Lord. It's not when you do something for the Lord. It's when you hear the voice of the Lord. In other words, you weren't made just to do something for God. You weren't made just to get something from God, but you were made for a relationship with God. And see, it's a close relationship a father-child relationship where there's love, there's trust, there's intimacy. And see, you and I, we have a God-sized hole in our heart that only God can fill. And you could say, oh, if only I had a nicer spouse, a faster car, a better job, then my joy will be complete, but you'll be chasing mirage. Because the fact is this, you've got a God-sized hole that only God can fill. And if you would learn to draw near to Jesus, you're gonna find that God's presence will satisfy you in a way that nothing else can. You were made for a relationship with Jesus. And see, here at Thrive, we wanna help as many people as possible to experience more of Jesus in their lives. That's why we've got something called Thrive Disciple School, in particular level two, talking about growing your relationship with God. And you know, we always love to get feedback from people as to you know, how they're doing in these classes. And this is what, you know, in our latest term of Thrive Disciple School level two, we asked, you know, how did you grow in your relationship with God through TDS? They said this, one person said, after taking TDS, I have a better grasp of God's word every day. I have a better understanding of how the Holy Spirit is by my side and working with me all the time. I'm better off now with all I've learned and been equipped with from TDS to be a better Christian. Recently, I feel so much power and love from God as I finally got baptized. I feel my life is now filled with greater passion, love, faith, and motivation. Praise God. That's one, one, what one person wrote. Another person, they wrote, TDS has helped me tremendously in growing my relationship with God. The sessions consist of many practical tools that are essentials for spiritual growth. I feel that I was a lukewarm Christian before I took TDS. I would attend services, pray and serve like doing chores. I had a desire to grow spiritually, but I did not have the tools. After going through the sessions in TDS, I'm now equipped with many tools to help me draw a closer relationship with God. I have been practicing how to experience this and be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's helped me to be more focused and get a better grasp on God's word. Can we give God some praise for all of that? That's great. Why do I mention that? It's because you were made to grow in your relationship with God. And if you don't know how, if you were made to hear God's voice, but you don't know how, then we encourage you to sign up for TDS level two, growing your relationship with God. Go to mythrob.info to sign up because you were made to grow. Turn to me and say, I was made to grow. You were made to grow. And when we grow and we experience more of God's presence, we find a joy that we may have lost before. Statement number four, and we'll close. Last powerful statement that John the Baptist makes that we're gonna learn from today. He must become greater 
I must become less. What can we learn from this last statement? He must become greater, I must become less. Last statement, you can write it down as well, is practice humility. Realize that true greatness is born out of true humility. You know, John the Baptist, he says, he, Jesus, must become greater, I must become less. And if you follow the course of John the Baptist's life, you could say that that was really the case, is that he would become less and less. Because shortly after John the Baptist said these words, he will be arrested for speaking out about an affair that the king was having with his sister-in-law. And so they put him in jail. While he's in jail, he starts doubting his faith and doubting, you know, was I doing the right thing? You know, like, does my ministry have any value? And so it's a really difficult personal time for him. While John is in prison, the king would make some stupid vow that would cause John to be killed. He would be executed by beheading. And then they would take his head put it on a plate and present it to the king's mistress at a party. It was the most humiliating, disrespectful way to treat someone immediately after they've died. And see, from the world's perspective, John the Baptist lived a really difficult life that I don't think any of us would want. There was no glorious ending to John the Baptist's life on earth. And while on earth, he never got to see the fruit of his labor. He never saw Jesus resurrect from the dead. He never saw Jesus die on the cross for people's sins. And yet Jesus says of John the Baptist, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. And see, here's the thing. Many years ago, there was a popular commercial for uh, it's uh, <clears throat> Dasaki's beer. Uh, featuring what they called the most interesting man in the world. And, uh, you know, I'm not promoting, you know, go buy beer, but I'm just saying this is, this is something where, like, I just found the, the commercial really interesting, where they say this is the most interesting man in the world. And they, they kind of make him out to be, like, the greatest man to ever live. Like, he's rich, he's intelligent, he's good-looking, he's suave and sophisticated, he's, you know, athletic, he's articulate, he's daring, you know, he goes on all these crazy adventures, he's well-traveled, he's well-read, he's got all this stuff, he's got, you know, young women, like, like clamoring for him, and, 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 and they, they describe him as such poetic, exaggerated terms, like, oh, his personality is so magnetic, he's unable to carry credit cards, or, you know, even his enemies list him as their emergency contact number, you know, He's the most interesting man in the world. He could disarm you with his looks or with his hands. When he goes swimming, dolphins appear. You know, if he walked a chihuahua, it would still look masculine. You know, when he blows his nose, what comes out isn't snot, it's art. You know, it's, you know his selfie is the most expensive NFT ever sold. I'm just adding some stuff right now. But here's the thing. Is, is he said, and, and, and then at the end of the commercial, this guy, this greatest man who ever lived, the most interesting man in the world, he says, I don't always drink beer. But when I do, I prefer Dosakis. Right. And see, if Jesus were to tell you who is the most interesting man to ever live, he might say it this way instead. He ate locusts and honey every meal of his life. He lived in poverty and never traveled outside his own country. He preached messages, but most people wouldn't listen. He baptized people, but he was surpassed by someone greater than him. His truest disciples left him to follow someone else. He spoke the truth and he paid for it with his life. His only appearance as a, at a party was the, as a butt of a joke. He died alone in a prison cell and never saw the fruit of his labor. This is the greatest man who ever lived. And I could see, you know, almost like Jesus saying at the end of that, I don't always praise people, but when I do, I prefer John the Baptist. And see, that's because maybe that's something close to what Jesus would say. It's because true greatness is born out of true humility. Does true humility mean that you too need to, you know, you know, forget about eating whatever you plan for lunch and just eat locusts and honey for the rest of your life? 
Does it mean you have to live in abject poverty and live in the desert and never marry? No, but what it means is about tra- practicing true humility wherever you are. Because humility is the, what paves the road to true greatness. What is true humility? Let me give you a few ideas of what true humility is before we close. I'm gonna go through them fast, so if you wanna take these, you might wanna just take a picture of them. Here it is, true humility is realizing that it's not all about you, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. True humility is admitting your weaknesses and learning from your mistakes. True humility is recognizing I still have a lot to learn. True humility is serving others well, all the while being secure in who I am. I'm God's NFT. True humility is understanding that my life is not just about the 30, 50, 80 years I have on this earth, but it's about eternity. True humility is recognizing that God's story didn't begin with me and doesn't end with me, but I still have an important role to play in it. See, because John the Baptist served with true humility, he found true greatness and he found his life. See, the greatness of a person's life is not measured by what happens to that person in their lifetime. The greatness of a person's life is measured by one question. What did you do with what God gave you? And see, the reason Jesus said of all human beings ever born, there is no one greater than John the Baptist is because John didn't complain about what God gave him. He didn't let himself be controlled by comparisons. He wasn't interested in building his own kingdom. Instead, he just took everything, the much that God gave him, and with courage, with humility, with consistency, with faithfulness, he used it for God's glory. He pointed people to Jesus, and he found his joy in just being near Jesus. And see, in the same way, if you want to find life in this season, four ways you can do that, four things you can do to start finding your life again. Number one, don't let comparisons control you. Instead, believe that God's plans for you are sovereign, good, and unique. Number two, realize it's not about you. It's about Jesus. So orient your life around serving him, not yourself. Number three, learn to have a close relationship with Jesus and hear his voice because it's a close relationship with Jesus that makes your joy complete. And number four, practice humility. Because no matter what you may be going through today, you know there's always someone greater in the room than you. His name is Jesus Christ. With that in mind, can we all stand? As I get ready to lead you in prayer, those of you watching online, those of you here on site, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God. It's because you're not just here for information, but I think God made you to experience Him, to have a transformation when we experience Him. And first off, with every head bowed, and every eye closed. I just want to lead those of you here in a prayer who need to pray this prayer right now. Today we talk about what true humility is, and I'll just give you one more definition of true humility, is that true humility is realizing that I'm a sinner who needs a savior, that I can't get to God on my own. But true humility is recognizing that when I couldn't reach God, God reached for me by sending Jesus Christ in love to die on the cross for my sins so that I could have a way back to him. And humility is recognizing that because I can't get to God, I need a savior. And if you've never opened up your heart to Jesus, maybe you've been to church before, maybe it's your first time in church, but you've never opened up your heart to Jesus and said, I need God's forgiveness for sin. And I need Jesus to be my savior because I can't get to God on my own. If that's you, then I want to lead you in a prayer right now to ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to ask him into your life. If that's you here on site, 
we just raise your hand to God right now. Don't worry about your neighbor. It doesn't matter. About that, that, it's, it's, not, it's not about them right now. If that's you, just raise your hand to God right now. Lift your hand to God to heaven as a response to see you say, God, I need you. Let the height of your hands just reflect how much you need him today. Lift your hand to heaven right now. One of the ushers might come to you and pass to you a little prayer card that we're going to pray together right now. You can just hang on to that. Don't worry about it. Just hang on to that. Those of you on site, you can do this right now. You can just click the scan, click the the, QR, the, the, the the link in your chat room, scan the QR code that's on your screen, and we're going to get you that, that same prayer that you can pray. And this is a simple way for us to ask Jesus Christ for his forgiveness and to ask him to fill our lives. And so if that's you, why don't you pray this prayer with me right now? You don't have to come from a Christian background to do this. You just need to know that you need a, a savior today. Why don't you pray this prayer with me right now? You can say this right now. And we'll all say it in support of those saying it for the first time. Let's say, dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. That because you love me, because you, love me you died on the cross, died on the cross to, pay for my sins, to pay for my sins. You rose again, you rose again to, give me life. to give me life. Today, today I, open up my heart, I open up my heart and I ask you, and I ask you please forgive me please forgive of all my sins, all my sins and, forgive me, and forgive me and fill me, and fill me with, your Holy Spirit. with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust, place my trust not in what I do, not in what I do but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, then guess what? The Bible says you are a child of God. You are forgiven of your sins. You are a citizen of heaven. And the best is yet to come. We've got some gifts to give to those who prayed that prayer for the first time. What you can do is, for those who are on site, you have that card. Take that card to the Welcome Center. We'd love to give you your very own, very special gift to congratulate you. Those of you online, go to the bottom of the page that you've just prayed that prayer on. There's a link to some of those gifts there for you as well that we'd love to send to you. On top of that, we encourage you, those who prayed that prayer just now, a huge congratulations to you. We encourage you to keep coming to church because every baby, every child needs a family to grow up in. We'd love to be your spiritual family. On top of that, we encourage you to do what John the Baptist did. We encourage you to get baptized. Baptism is not a graduation. It's a beginning. It's you simply saying, I know I'm a sinner who needs a savior. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. That's what baptism is. Go to mythought.info for more on baptism right now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Thrive Church. My name is Kathy, and it's so great to be here with you guys today. Before I let you guys go, I have a few announcements for you. If it's your first time here, we would love to get to know you better. So please text NEW to 604-285-5770 or visit mythrive.info and we'll mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. If you're on-site at Leap On Place, you can pick one up at the Welcome Center by the exit door after service. If you prayed the prayer with Pastor JV earlier to receive Jesus Christ into your life today, congratulations, we have a gift package for you and we'll send you a series of videos that will help answer some questions about Christianity. Please text LEAP to 604-285-5770 or visit info. If you're on-site, you can pick one up at the Welcome Center after service. If you'd like to know what we're all about, who we are, and what we believe in, we are offering a one-hour course on Zoom called Thrive Discipleship School Level 1. TDS 1. It is happening this coming Wednesday, May 4th between 8 p.m. to 9.15 p.m. For more information or to sign up, please visit mythrive.info. Another course we're offering is TDS Level 2. This is a six-week online course starting on May 17th that can help you build a strong foundation in growing your relationship with God. In this course, you'll learn several keys to spiritual growth and how to be able to experience these keys at work in your life. For more information or to sign up, please visit mythrive.info. Last but not least, we are going to celebrate Mother's Day at Leapon Place on Sunday, May 8th at 9.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. We want to love on all our moms here at Thrive Church, so please invite your family. Can't wait to see you all there. 
That's it for this week. I hope you all have a great day. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings online at mythar.info. Have an amazing Sunday afternoon, and I'll see you all next week online or on-site at Lee Palm Place. Bye!